Hello, WZIP. This is Natalie from Entertainment Rebooted, and I am joined by my Mando buddy, Matt, and we are here to recap Episode 7 of The Mandalorian, Season 3, Chapter 23, titled The Spies. Interesting title right off the bat. (laughs) Yeah, let's do this thing. (laughs) This will be a spoiler review because I cannot help myself, so if you haven't seen it yet, first, what rock have you been living under? Second, you should go ahead and watch that first because this is not an episode to skip or to be spoiled. Without further ado, here's the recap. This episode starts on Coruscant with our highly suspect, clearly evil Imperial spy, Elia Kane, who has once again managed to sneak around under the blindfolded eyes of the New Republic. She hollow messages Moff Gideon, who was revealed to have been escaped, At the end of episode 5, he was broken out before he went to trial. After a whole episode with no Gideon in sight, he finally shows his face, and the episode is all the better for it. Elia tells him about how Din's covert has stepped in and saved Navarro from the pirates two episodes back. I assume this scene takes place around the same time as episode 6, because if not, she sure took her time telling him (laughs) that. Um, But you know, you never know. Anyway, Gideon is not pleased with this, and he takes his Mandalorian concerns to some super-secret hologram Zoom call with all of his Imperial buddies. There he requests TIE interceptor reinforcements, bomber ships, and some Praetorian guards for protection, because these Mandos do not mess around. He also wants to know where Thrawn is, which, me too, buddy. He's been teased with Thrawn's arrival just as much as we have without actually seeing or hearing anything else about him. They reference Project Necromancer, which tied into Pershing's cloning research, which undoubtedly refers to either Palpatine somehow returning, or Snoke, or both. Sigh, you know how I feel about (laughs) that immediately. We don't even need to go into that right now. But Gideon is in more luck than I was, because he is able to convince his Imperial buddies to grant his requests, Because the Mandalorians are reclaiming Mandalore, which is a problem for them. They're not keen on that idea at all. On Navarro, High Magistrate Karga welcomes the new Mandalorian fleet that Bo has assembled at the end of Episode 6. And while tensions are high between Din's clan and Bo's, the helmet thing being a glaring issue, they seem to more or less agree to work together. Grogu gets a new mode of transportation courtesy of the Anzellans, Grief Karga, and IG-11's body. Glad that that came up again after the time we spent on it in episode one. And Grogu is a little adorable hoot in that droid suit as well, because not only can he move around quicker and more independently, they also installed yes and no buttons, so Grogu can talk now, sort of. Bo gathers some volunteers, Din, Grogu, Axe Woves, the Armorer, Paz Vizsla, and Koska Reeves, her old Mandalorian girl buddy, and a few others to lead a preliminary landing on Mandalore before clearing the way for the rest of the fleet. They meet some of the locals, some actual Mandalorians this time, who are pretty happy to see Bo-Katan again, because she was their leader once. The armorer takes some of the wounded back to the fleet, and Bo comes clean and tells the rest, and us, that she actually had surrendered to the Empire back when she ruled Mandalore, in hopes of sparing her people, giving Gideon the Darksaber, but Gideon had, surprise, surprise, betrayed her, and thus the Purge of Mandalore was initiated in earnest. 
Seeing she's a little bit bummed about what had happened still, Mando gives her a nice you got this girl pep talk and their journey continues. The Mandalorian survivors leading them to the Great Forge to set up a base camp there. When an encounter with a giant monster forces them below the surface, they are ambushed by Imperial troopers in Beskar. The Mandalorians start taking names because these are just nameless evil cannon fodder, am I right? And Axe Woves is able to escape for reinforcements courtesy of some cover fire from Paz Vizsla. Bo orders her peeps to push forward and chase the retreating Imperials only to get caught in another trap. Gideon has constructed a little Imperial base in Mandalore, but the cultural appropriation does not stop there. Nope, he has his own Beskar armor and claims that Mandalore will live on through him. What a pleasant gentleman, am I right? <laughs> Bo-Katan, Grogu, and the others manage to escape, but Din is captured and Vizsla is unfortunately killed by the Praetorians as he guards their escape. And But he only... He only bit the dust after taking out lots of the lower-level Imperial troopers all by himself. <laughs> what a dude. And then the penultimate episode of Season 3 ends, and my brain exploded. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you think of this episode, Matt? <laughs> oh, let me tell you. When I was watching the episode, the gears in my brain were <laughs> just stopped working. <laughs> no one was home. The lights were off. No, literally. I, I liked that in this episode, you know, I think the stakes actually improved a lot. I know we had been talking about that in previous episodes. This has got to be, I'm going to say it, the best episode all season with potential, you know, hesitation because we haven't seen the finale yet. At least yeah. I haven't. Um, so, you know, the tense start is like this, this episode just gets the ball rolling like immediately. The tense start is amazing. Really sets the tone for the episode. And the pacing of the episode really improved and... I wish that every episode was like this one because this was just, you know, mind hooked the entire way. And the finale, like you said, made me lose my mind a little bit. <laughs> Imperials and Beskar, you know, maybe I, I heard a theory that they could be clones of Gideon too. I'm not sure how likely that is given the timeline. I don't know when he escaped, um, but the Mandalorians were taking some big, taking names big time. And, you know, didn't just like sprints in. Like, the blasts are nothing, which is super exciting. And then, you know, the ambush happened, and then all cognitive function was just lost entirely. <laughs> um, do you think that, you know, this is tying the season together pretty well? Yeah, I feel like the cl in terms of the cloning, I felt that I kind of saw, saw it coming, because mm -hmm. uh, season three, episode five, they kind of... They kind of foreshadowed it in a way. It's hard to explain, but... Mm -hmm. Not to mention your least favorite episode. We had a whole, oh, like, 40-minute yeah. I could, I could, I could really make a whole solo podcast on how much I hate the, uh, the episode. It'll, be, it'll probably be longer than all of our podcasts mm -hmm. uh, combined. Yeah, his the hatred has just flown through him for that episode. Because, you know, when we, we talked about it, you're just like, I have nothing to say. That episode was like... Yeah, I was I was silent as a mouse. <laughs> yeah, but like now he's got a bunch of thoughts because, you know, he just, he just really hates it. But we're not here to talk about that episode. We're here to talk yes. about this one, which, you know, Matt likes a lot better. So he'll have, yeah, he'll have more fun not, As long as we're that. not talking about the episode <laughs> that shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, or the sequels. Oh, oh don't, don't, don't even start. <laughs> yeah. Th those are going to be our ground rules, which I am probably going to end up breaking. But for now, they are the ground rules. <laughs> um, but I, I will say that I do think that this tied 
a lot of things together from the earlier episodes. I'm not sure on a couple of things. Um, it's It kind of felt like we should have united more Mandalorians <laughs> this season. Like, we had, like, two groups, right? We had Din's group and we have Bo's group. And that's, like, all the Mandalorians that we've needed to, you know, bring together. And they're just like, okay, time to go to Mandalore now. <laughs> <laughs> time to retake Mandalore. And I'm like, okay, that was fast. Like, this is... This is all the Mandalorians we need to unite. I thought that they would be a bit more scattered than that. And then, you know, when they get to Mandalore and we find more, it's like they join easily too. So, you know, I kind of just, I expected more work to have to go to this, seeing as this is like the the arc, the good guy arc yeah. of the season is, you know, supposed to be, you know, retaking Mandalore and uniting the Mandalorians. And, you know, I just, I felt like it would have been better if, we had done this throughout the whole season. Like not saying that we couldn't have had those like side quests. And obviously there were some things that were in the previous episodes that did need to happen to be set up. But I think they might've, might've been able to be even like condensed or at least, you know, tweaked a little bit to like, we can still have these like mission things, but if we do it in, like in every episode, we're trying to go off and, and get more Mandalorians from somewhere. Like, I don't know, maybe that just, that just is what it seems like would be better for pacing for me because, you know, I am seeing how it is, you know, pulling together in this episode, but it just kind of, like, it doesn't necessarily make the other ones better in and of themselves. I can understand, you know, pick a part. It's like, okay, this part was relevant. This part was relevant. I needed to know this. I needed to know this. I needed to establish this. But then the rest of it is like, it's like, I don't know, maybe my gauge was just, do I want to, like, does this make me want to rewatch the other episodes? And I really kind of don't want to watch them any more than I had before. I liked the first two, and then I really liked this one. And then the other ones were various stages of okay for me. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, they're, they were entertaining enough when I sat down and watched them, but their the rewatch value wasn't really there as much. So I was kind of hoping that it would be a little bit more tight in terms of, you know, the arc. And actually, I feel like most of the stuff that was tied together was from the villains. Like, the cloning stuff came back. The pirate stuff was apparently, you know, in there as well. Because I I don't know why Moff Gideon is working with the pirates if he's really working with them or if it's just, hey, this is not great because the Mandalorians in- were involved or the the New Republic was noticing or something. I don't know exactly what that was. The way I read it was he was, like, somehow sponsored the pirates as part of his, like, you know, we're pretending to be scouted warlord stuff, but, you know, it doesn't really make much sense. So he might have, you know, just been worried because the pirates were defeated by somebody, which means that somebody is a threat. I'm kind of wondering also about, you know, the only thing uniting the Mandalorians. Like, I feel like we're tentatively united. Yeah. But, like, are we not going to figure out this helmet thing? Because there's clearly, like, (laughs) two distinct sides, and that's a running thing throughout the episode. There's fights. There's even, like, a fist fight at one point. Where Paz Vizsla and like Axe Woves just like start going at it over a chess game, <laughs> which was funny. I really liked, you know, Vizsla's whole like attitude is like, 
I'm moving this piece here. You can't move that piece there. It yes. doesn't move like that. Well, it moves like this other piece that does move like that. Yeah, it's like the cliche, turn a simple game into a battle to the death. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really liked that scene. It was really funny. It was annoying, though, because I expected Bo to be a bit of a better leader. I like the vulnerability that she shows regarding the loss of Mandalore and Gideon's betrayal, but there are times that I think she should lead and she just kind of doesn't, this being one of them. Like, she says that, you know, she's like, you know, Vizsla and Axewoves are just, you know, brawling it out over a chess game, which, you know, Axewoves is like, this is ridiculous, but he fights anyway. So they're fighting, and, you know, Mando is like, are, are we going to, like, stop them or anything? And then Bo's like, neither side can step in. <laughs> and I'm like, so you're just going to let them duke it out here? Like, you are the leader, Bo. You are the bridge. You shouldn't be on either side. Either side, it's like you're on no sides or both sides. Bridges connect both sides. So by definition, you are on neither and both. But no, Grogu has to step <laughs> in because Grogu is like, this is ridiculous. Why is th- why are these people fighting? They shouldn't be fighting. Why is nobody stepping in? Okay, I have a, you know, droid suit now. So I'm going to step in. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. Because he has the no button. He just keeps hitting it. Like, no, 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 no. And then they eventually break it up. And then Bo's like, you taught your apprentice well. And I'm like, why didn't you break it up? <laughs> it's like, why does Grogu have to do it? It's like, I mean, what side would you be on that you're breaking it up? You're on both and neither. That's the whole point of having you. <laughs> At this point, if I question the logic of these people, then my brain is just going to explode. Ouch. (laughs) Well, I mean, it it already has for this episode, which we'll get to (laughs) later. But speaking of the ending of this episode, why doesn't Bo use the Darksaber in the fight earlier? Like, she doesn't use it except to escape. But, you know, that's that's logic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As every other franchise. Yeah. It's like, I mean... We just spent so much time with, like, trying to get this Darksaber. Like, she was like, I am going to get the Darksaber because then I will be able to lead. But now she has the Darksaber from this very anticlimactic Din just giving it to her because on a technicality, it's been hers for five episodes. And I guess Din just kind of forgot that she wanted it and that it was technically hers. So he should give it to her. Like, I mean, if you were trying to make it dramatic, that did not work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you might as well just handed it to her on the way back. Like, it just... So anticlimactic, but that was last episode, and we don't need to rehash that. So, I just think that, you know, we just made a big deal about that, and it doesn't really... It doesn't necessarily not go anywhere, but it doesn't have as big a prominence as it should. Kind of like the Mythosaur. Is that coming back? Like, what's the point of that? Like... Why does she need to have seen the Mythosaur if, you know, she was just going to end up getting the Darksaber anyway? So now she doesn't need to tame the Mythosaur because she has the Darksaber. So people are following her because she has the Darksaber. Like, is it to win over the Armorer? Because, I mean, I still don't know 100% what's up with her. There, I've... I've seen some theories that she is one of the titular spies and she's actually against them, which, you know, maybe she is. There was that one scene in this episode where she's like, 
I will take the wounded back coincidentally before they were ambushed. And then she radios to some fleet command, which, you know, we're led to think that it's our fleet command because we left some fleet up there, right? Not everybody went down to the planet. But what if it's not our fleet? What if it's fleet command of somebody else? Because, you know, we never, they never respond. We don't hear anybody's voice respond to her. And the cinematography is just kind of like, Ooh, <laughs> like, like it's hard to explain, but it's like it lingers on her, you know, her mask, her face, her helmet and, you know, just, you know, silence, like staring ahead resolutely. And then there's this other guy. I, I don't know which guy this is, but there's a guy that's on the ship who is just like the camera lingers on him for some reason. And he's just kind of looking around like, like, what's going on? Like kind of face like I don't know if that's actually what he's thinking, but that's the vibe that it gave me. So. Maybe maybe she's a bit of a spy, and that wouldn't have been necessary anyway. But if she, even if she's not a spy, like I feel like her saving the Ragnar, the Paz Vizsla's son, in the other ones, like she didn't need all of these things stacked up on her. She could have like, oh, she was picked because she's walked both ways. Maybe she, you know, does all these things. But like, she doesn't need to have seen the Mythosaur if. She has the dark saber in terms of making people follow her. Maybe in terms of making her see, you know, more of Din's perspective and the covert's perspective for the children of the watch. But even then, seeing the reverence that Mando had for it, like, I feel like that could have worked too. Like, she didn't really need to see it. I don't know. I just hope that it comes back because I like things to have a place. And that's what I was talking about with the conciseness with how tight I think that the narrative could have been. I just think that, you know, the threads were united, but the pacing was off. It took a little bit too long to get here, and it didn't retroactively help the other episodes because of the heroes are basically just going along for the ride for the most part. You know, we have Bo with, she kind of has a goal, but Mando is like, we, we don't even get to really the hey let's retake mandalore preparation until like halfway through the season yeah and then you know it takes a little bit there where we kind of maybe like start working toward it and then here it's just like go 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 it's like the season realized like oh wait we have two episodes left let's go to mandalore (laughs) 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 so we're actually gonna do it this time so i really would have liked to see the the previous episodes having more of a narrative thread, not just with the goals of the villains and what the villains are doing behind the scenes, but actually seeing the heroes work towards a goal too. Yeah, I'm hoping like with this, with the next episode coming out, coming out, like I hope to see like the, it's hard to explain, the, like the, the reveals that's been going on in the previous episodes and how hopefully they'll contribute to, to the last episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely editing my starter out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. It happens. But, yeah, I just... So how did you feel about the scene with Bo and Mando? Honestly, I'm at a loss for words on that because... The, the girl talk, <laughs> the pep talk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it hits different because sometimes we all need a pep talk. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like the vulnerability and I like the support and... I love how they were connecting and he was supporting her and it was so close to exactly what I wanted 
but I have a little nitpick about it, which, you know, maybe I just don't understand a Mandalorian flirting and I'm putting too much stock into the actual wordage. But I was waiting for him to say something like, we'll rebuild it together. Because, you know, he's she's talking about how just like, oh, you know, I, I, I was the leader and I surrendered to try and save my people, but I couldn't actually protect them. Because, you know, Gideon betrayed me. Now, look look at all this, you know, devastation. It's like, I was the leader when all this happened. And then this happened under my watch. And, you know, it's really, really awful. And then Mando's just like, I'll serve you. And it's like, that's not good enough for me. Like, I don't want him to serve her. I really, it's like, I really want a more, like, we'll rebuild it together. Like, I'll help you. Not necessarily, I will serve you, though. But, like, we are equals. We have a have a relationship. I'm, yes, I'm still trying to make that happen. <laughs> and I will continue to try and make that happen because I want them to be a little space family. And it's just, it's so close to what I want. And because it's not quite there, it still gives me a little bit of the vibes of we are still focusing on Bo more than Mando, which is not my favorite thing about this season. And I'm going to explain why, because, you know, I was, you know, on the internet, as you do, and apparently Disney has said that the Mandalorian, you know, the title of the show, yes, can refer to anybody, which is true. You know, that it is the creed. You can, you know, anybody who swears the creed is a Mandalorian. However, it doesn't. The Mandalorian... The title does not refer to any Mandalorian because it hasn't for two seasons and the first two episodes of this season. It has been a clear reference to Mando, Din, the Mandalorian. We've always been talking about him throughout all of season one. He's been the main character. We're following his story. He's the Mandalorian. Grief Karga even calls him Mando, which is why all of us all of us call him Mando because he is the Mandalorian. I mean, it's also shorter. <laughs> yeah, it's shorter. and But he's like, we could say Din, which we do sometimes. But Din and Mando are synonymous in most of our descriptions, in our discussions. We say Mando. People aren't thinking Bo-Katan. People are thinking Din Djarin because that is how it is. Season two, same thing. We're following, you know, Din Djarin, Mando, trying to... You know, get Grogu, his Jedi teacher, and that was the whole point of that. But it's still his journey. It's still his storyline. He That is his goal, is to get Grogu a Jedi teacher. That's his goal. We are still watching his story play out. And then the same with the first two episodes of this season, where, you know, is the whole, like, I've got to redeem myself and bathe in the living waters. That's Mando's story still, right? Yeah. And then, you know, even more than that, I've seen the trailer for the season. And it has Mando's voiceover, Din's voiceover. And based on how the trailer was put together, I mean, I don't know. It seemed like he was still going to be the main character. So that's bordering, in my opinion, pretty close on false advertising if he's not. Because, you know, it's kind of like genre with books, right? Like yeah. if I pick up a fantasy romance book and it's contemporary you know tragedy angsty mess you know that doesn't end happily and doesn't even have a love story in it like 
it's like if I want to do a fantasy romance and I pick up like Fault in Our Stars. Oh, boy. It's, it's like this, not saying that it's not a good story that should be able to be told, but there are expectations when, you know, based on how you market something, how you label something, that I didn't sign up for Fault in Our Stars when I picked out a fantasy romance, right? Yeah. Same thing here. I think that if you made this a Bo-Katan show, that would be fine. But I did not sign up for a Bo-Katan show in season three of The Mandalorian. And I think that that's a lot of people's problems. Not that they don't care about Bo-Katan, but hey, I'm here for Mando. Like, that's why you didn't like the the episode that shall not be named, because you're here for Mando. You don't care about a 40-minute side mission with Dr. (laughs) Pershing. Like, that's not why you're here. And that's the whole point where it's like, Yes, it can refer to any Mandalorian, but it doesn't and it hasn't because the marketing and previous seasons have set up something specific. So if you still have that expectation and people get mad, that's why. It's not that, oh, well, you know, it's subverting expectations. They should just go with it. No, you, you promised them something pretty specific. That's why they're here. That's their expectations. And you set those expectations up. Like this isn't, you know, Game of Thrones where, you know, George R. R. Martin can be like, hey, I never said that my main characters are safe. As a matter of fact, I said over and over again that they weren't. Right. If you still think that they're safe after that, that is subverting your expectations that you have. But I didn't give you those. It's not a lie. You didn't lie to us. This is getting dangerously close to a lie. If it turns out to be Bo Show, maybe the finale will redeem it. But, you know, I do expect more for the main character. And swapping main characters in the middle of a season this gracelessly just does not work for me. She should have had a spinoff show. And I am like, you know, 98% going to continue to think that. Again, I haven't seen the finale yet. So I don't want to speak in absolutes because only Sith deal in absolutes. But... (laughs) I am still pretty, pretty sure about it. But, you know, I, when the scene was going on, I was screaming inside of my head because it was so almost romantic and everything I wanted. And I really hope that it's Mandalorian flirting that I just don't get it. And it was like, it was exactly that because I do really want this to happen. And I really hope that they don't leave Mando as a damsel in the finale and actually let him contribute because, you know, I heard people speculating that they all just kill him off and then Bo will get the spotlight completely. And I really hope that's not the case because I'm not going to be happy if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, you'll never know because like you said with the trailer, it advertised that Mando was going to be the main character. But mm-hmm. that's kind of the equivalent to a clickbait where you're like, oh, uh, so this happened I at the end. clickbait. Like, and and, and, and there's just a bunch of filler. Yeah, or I'm like not, you that, have that like, a stuff never happens. like a 17-minute video that's like, oh, this happened. And then it, like the whole video is just like, well, we don't really know much about it other than the title. And I'm like, well, thank you for that wasting <laughs> 17 minutes. I could have been finding, finding the cured cancer. Yeah, something. Like, I could have done something better with my time. Let's just have a little bit more realistic expectation. But the point still stands. No clickbaiting. No false advertising. It's annoying. And people, understandably, do not like it. Speaking of things we don't like. Oh, no. <laughs> the sequels. <laughs> Why? <laughs> she warned you. <laughs> Ugh, I hate the connection to the sequels. You know, 
I don't want to bring Alec up because he's not here. Um, hopefully he'll be able to join us for the finale. Hopefully David will as well. Um, we'll just have to see with schedules. This is recorded pretty close to finals week, so it's getting kind of down to crunch time. So we'll see what we can do. But, you know, I agree with what he said that, you know, we like to see things form a cohesive whole. And I agree with that. You know, I like to think see things make sense flow seamlessly together it makes me very happy it makes me very excited and it's just chef's kiss right (laughs) because it just works together so beautifully and i love it in every case but this one because in this one as i've said before the sequels did not have this chef's kiss continuity consistency with the original trilogy and the prequels they did not so i personally don't really care and would prefer if we didn't have continuity with them because I like to pretend that they don't exist. This that episode this episode makes it very hard to pretend that they don't exist. And you know, it's annoying for me more than anything because it doesn't make me think of the sequels more fondly. Like I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to, you know, retroactively fix the sequels so that, you know, if you watch them, you know, the original trilogy, The Mandalorian, all these other, you know, shows that go take place in here. And then the sequels, then hopefully what they're trying to do is make a seamless whole, right? Yeah. That's not what I'm seeing, though. Well, I am seeing that. That experience is never going to happen for me because I know what came first. This is a retroactive fixing rather than exploring the Mandalorian storyline for me. This isn't, I cannot see this as this is, you know, we're just doing this because it is a natural progression of the story. It is not that. It is making it clear, hey, you know, we're, we're going to fix the sequels for you. You can't fix them. They're totaled. We need to just pretend that they don't exist. Whether that's, you know, reboot them in an alternate reality or just, you know, fill in the in-between and leave it alone. Don't touch that area of time at all. Because it just it just upsets me. It doesn't feel like a natural progression for the story. It just feels like you are doing damage control for the three terrible movies that I don't know why you keep banking on them because half of the fan base hates them. Like what this with this Ray movie? Why you you think this is going to bring in the bucks? No. <laughs> like I mean, if some people want to see it have at it they have every right to like it but it's like this is not a safe bet disney what are you doing why are you keeping doubling and tripling down on these sequels just let them die let the past die that was your whole thing for the terrible worst star wars fan fiction on the planet the last jedi it's like just stop with the sequels stop trying to make them happen because you know that bridge maybe it's not burned for everybody you know maybe you know our grandkids who will not have seen it or not know what came out chronologically, what came out first, and will just watch it in timeline order, and they will like it, maybe. Doesn't matter. For me, that bridge is burned. It is not coming back. You are not fixing those movies. And because of that, you know, I'm not going to ever take anyone called Huck seriously after the abomination that was his character in The Last Jedi. One of the, one of the Shadow Council's meetings, people... His name is Hux, and apparently he is the father of the Hux that's in the sequels. That and sounds like the name of a bucktooth farmer. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I I mean, he might as well have been for the characterization that The Last Jedi gave him. If you remember that movie, he was the one who was, 
doing the your mama jokes with Poe in the beginning. Yeah. It's like he was a comedic farce like of a character. He he was not intimidating slightest. Snoke was the only villain in the sequels that had any kind of intimidation factor ever since that Ray beat Kylo Ren at the end of the first one. After that, you know, because at first it had been Kylo Ren was fine, and then Snoke was fine, and then Kylo Ren was not intimidating after Ray beat him easily, and then it was just Snoke, and then Snoke was killed off, and then they had to stupidly bring back Palpatine because they had, they had nothing else set up. But, you know... I don't care how competent this relative is. He's going to have to deal with the baggage of the Hux from the sequels. Because, again, I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. And it's, any tie-in to the sequels is not going to feel natural to me at this point. Because I know what they're doing. Now, I will say, after going on that long anti-sequel rant, the Praetorian Guards, I admit, were far cooler here than they were in The Last Jedi, which I like and don't like at the same time. Because, you know, when I first watched their showdown against Vizsla, I was like, oh, the red guys are back. Too much to hope for another disappearing knife. Ha 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 ha. Right. You know what they say. If it's inaccurate, then it's not canon. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that's what I believe. Like, if you're contradicting canon, it's not canon. And, you know, George Lucas's original trilogy came first, so if you're contradicting that, I'm thinking that you're not canon. But unfortunately, nobody listens to me. But, you know, I was hoping for another disappearing knife. Not, like, seriously, but I'm like, not going to miss an opportunity to rag on The Last Jedi because, again, it's terrible. But that was too Mary Sue-ish for, you know, Favreau and Filoni. They're actually going to commit and make these guys actually intimidating. Like, these guys, the way that they move, how, like, you know, fluid and, like, deliberate it is and how efficient they are. It's like, I'm watching that. And I'm like, these guys are actually kind of cool. They're intimidating. It's like, oh, like, they just, like, like Vizsla just took out all these guys. They took them out in, like, two seconds. The, like, these guys mean business. But then I remember The Last Jedi in the throne room scene where they're just all chaotic and, you know, the choreography wasn't there. So they had to edit things out. And I'm like, they moved with such purpose and lethality here. And it was so different than The Last Jedi. And it makes me wonder what on earth happened to make these guys go from so formidable and intimidating to lame red (laughs) stormtroopers with purple sticks. It was just bad. I really, I really wish that, you know, they wouldn't go in the direction of the sequels, which, I mean, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, and I don't want to harp on this point too much longer because there were actually good things to say about the episode. Like Grogu. Grogu. We'll, we'll go to Grogu because Grogu makes me happy. Yeah. Why, why shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the IG-12 suit for Grogu? Honestly, I really liked them. It wasn't, like, nothing too special yeah. personally, but... <laughs> I mean... I, I love it. I thought that that whole scene, especially with the the fruit vendor or whatever it was that they're walking out on the streets of Navarro. And, you know, Grogu is just like, oh, there's food. And he just starts eating the food. And, of course, you know, Mando has to pay for it, <laughs> which, you know, doesn't bother Baby Yoda in the slightest. He just keeps snacking because that's what he does. Like, I do. do. What, yeah, he, 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 he does what he does. That's what he pleases. <laughs> yeah. And so then, you know, Mando is just like, hey, stop it. We have to pay for that. And then Grogu just keeps snacking, and he's like, "Stop!" And then Grogu's like, "No." <laughs> yeah, this happened today, like in this in this economy. 
so adorable. And then just like Din was just like, this is not working for me. But it, it worked for me. It was adorable. I loved it. But I will say borderline offensive to IG-11's memory, which, you know, I know he's a droid, so it's not that big a deal. You know, I think the the egg scandal from season two is maybe a little bit more damaging to Grogu's reputation than this is. Yeah. But, oh. <laughs> like, I mean, come on. He saved the, – the droid saved everybody, and he went from a statue to an egg upgrade. It's kind of funny when you think about it that way. But, you know, Grogu is able to talk now and move around. And I, I really hope that, you know, especially in the finale, we have one episode left, that Grogu uses the suit and actually is able to contribute more. Because I really hope that this isn't something done purely for more Grogu merch. Which, you know, as somebody who has a bunch of Grogu merch, I will <laughs> not, you know, turn down. But I am really, really hoping that we get some progress from Grogu because he's been set up to maybe have, like, the slightest seeds planted for progress where he's you know in mandalorian training and you know at the beginning where you know mando's teaching him stuff and you know he was with luke for apparently two years favreau and filoni said it was like two years ish where he was training with luke he's got some jedi stuff now it's like okay you're cute and you can continue to be cute but now it's time to be a little useful too because we took you away from luke skywalker to come back for the mandalorian I'm expecting there to be a reason for that beyond March. So, you know, if the reason was March and to, you know, bring in the bucks and keep viewers watching The Mandalorian, that's fine. You know, like I said, I kind of see the logic behind that. But you do have to justify it in the story, too. Because otherwise, you got to have, you know, negative Nancys like me, negative Natalies, <laughs> sitting here critiquing you and being like, I love Grogu, but this doesn't make any sense. He's not doing anything and he needs to do something because his storyline wrapped up so perfectly that if you're going to undo that, you better have something else planned. Because otherwise, it's like, he, he could have stayed with Luke. This, he's not doing anything. So while this is admittedly really cute and kind of the best thing ever, I am starting to want some substance from the little guy because you took him away from Luke. Not asking for solo rescue, but a contribution of some kind where it's like, yes, we are getting somewhere. I really, really want to see that. You know what I didn't want to see, even though we saw it coming? Vizsla dying. Oh. <laughs> don't don't bring up the sequel again. <laughs> don't. What did you Cross think of it? Crossed my heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I know we called it. We called it a couple times in the last episodes where you're just like, you Exactly. Know, That's why I wasn't too shocked about it. <laughs> it's like, he's, you know, he's wrapping up here where, you know, he's, you know, buried the hatchet with Bo and Mando and... You know, there's this, you know, really nice moment where we totally saw what he was doing. We knew exactly what was coming. But he did, you know, stick his neck out for Bo and Mando and be like, we are Mandalorians. Yes, we are going to help the people of Navarro because that's what we do. And, you know, we really helped out there. And, you know, that was a really nice moment. But, you know, it was still a bit of a bummer. R.I.P. for poor Vizsla. I kind of wanted... Like, I really wanted to see him, like, beat up that wolves guy because that board game sequence was really, really funny. I just, I really liked him in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, I knew that he was going to stay behind and die right when I saw him in the back of the group. And I yelled at the TV when he was, you know, because he, he was like, he was like, they were all like, come on, come on, let's go. And he's like, this is the way and closes the door. And I'm like, this is not the way. What about Ragnar? What are you doing? 
But yeah, he he went out like a boss. He was such a boss. There might have been too many of them, but that didn't matter. He tore through them fools. Well, let's hope they keep his legacy alive after what yeah. he did. Yeah, especially after he died to the stupid, much scarier in this than the sequels, Praetorian Guards. And then the episode ended right there, and I yelled at the screen again. I was like, that's not the end. Are you joking me? Yo, I'm sorry you feel bad for your roommate. <laughs> um, She actually wasn't there oh. when I watched this. this is, usually we watch things together. Yeah. But this one I had watched by myself just because, you know, it fitted my schedule better. And then I watched it with her for my second viewing. So I didn't lose my mind as much. <laughs> so she didn't have to deal with that. But, you know, I feel like. Like we've had some moments where our brains collectively explode, so I feel like she would have been she would have been fine with it. She probably would have agreed with me. Just some brief notes. I usually don't notice these things because even though I'm a, a film major, usually I'm I'm also a creative writing minor and I like writing a lot. So I'm more apt to notice the, you know, narrative consistency, the story, the character arcs, what is happening, the structure. I like that. Not necessarily that you know cinematography music filmmaking that stuff's interesting but it doesn't jump out to me as much because I haven't been practicing it as often as you know the writing I've been writing for pretty decently long time but I just want to say that the the title screen music for the you know the the spies and it's like you know the whole Mandalorian theme thing this music I don't know if it was different but it just struck me as more epic than usual so like that whole like i don't know if maybe it was just because the end or the beginning was so good compared to others where it's like oh yes we are getting here we are getting somewhere and i just really liked it and the whole episode it looked really beautiful i really love being on mandalore so i'm glad that we came back here i think that you know the only episodes so far that i would probably rewatch from the season is the second one maybe the first one if i'm feeling it because i want to get into the second one but the second one and this one and then hopefully the finale because hopefully the finale is going to yeah. be good. So I'm really very well made episode. Way better than the other ones of this. Yeah. Like I said, with the finale uh, coming out, I'm expecting some callbacks to previous episodes and how mm-hmm. they'll contribute to the c- uh, conclusion of the third season. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're going to see Thrawn? Let's, let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. I, I really hope so. I'm glad that he's teased again officially. I hope that he appears in Mando ahead of the Ahsoka series. I know he is definitely going to be in the Ahsoka series, but, you know, it would be nice because he was teased in this series a couple times. And, you know, I would like it. It's like, not that you can't use series to set up other series, but like I'm going back to, you know, things should have a point. And if you're bringing up Ahsoka, it's like, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? And then now in this one again, hey, is Grand Admiral Thrawn around? Like, we keep bringing this guy up. Can he do something? <laughs> like, I want to see him do something. And, you know, another theory is if Gideon doesn't die in the finale. Again, the finale is out. I have not seen it yet. And that was another reason I wanted to get this review going because I want to see it. Because hopefully it's not going to be spoiled for me. I'm planning on watching it later tonight. But if Gideon doesn't die in the finale, I hope that Thrawn kills him. Because <laughs> I it's like, you know, if the heroes aren't going to do it, I want this guy to do it. Because he just needs to, you know, get taken down like five pegs at least. 
I hated Gideon so much in this episode. I wanted him so dead, so bad. I got it got so bad that I laughed maniacally at his jokes as I wanted to strangle him. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, Hey Bo, we gotta stop meeting like this. And you can tell like the look imagine the look on my face when I said that. You hopefully can because of, you know, the tone of my voice. But yes, his grin was that infuriating. <laughs> That ridiculous. I hate him. I hate him so much. And then he culturally appropriates the Mandalorian culture quite proudly, might I ask. Like, it's not just that, you know, he's doing it. He is pleased. He is proud of this. He is just, you know, flaunting it. And he's so full of himself. He's like, this is, the suits are better because it has me in it. And I'm like, stop it. (laughs) Stop it right now. And then, you know, he apparently forgets that you know, you can't give away the Darksaber because he tells Bo to give him back the Darksaber, which, you know, okay, fine. Maybe, you know, he doesn't care about it, right? He doesn't care about the symbolic meaning. He just wants it back. Fine, whatever. But then he's like, and tell your men to obey me. And I'm like, her men follow her because she has the Darksaber. She won it in combat. If she gave it to you right now, you would not have won it from her. They're literally, they'd literally watch her give it to you. You think they're going to follow you after that? No, you didn't win it. You literally told us this. In the last season, if she gave it to you right here and now, her peeps still wouldn't follow you because you didn't take it and you have to take it. Them's the rules. This isn't a technicality. That's the rules. I don't think he would have been able to get away with it like Bo got away with, you know, getting it from Mando. So overall, um, I know David likes his ratings. Yeah. I know he's not here. So in his, in his spirit, what rating would you give this episode? Well... I would give it an 8 out of 10. It was definitely better better than some episodes that I don't want to talk about. Be talk about. <laughs> and especially with uh, Palpatine's appearance in this episode, uh, or, or or rumored appearance. I, I, I heard, oh, the, uh, yeah. the, you know, tubes that he, he walks back. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Snoke I, or Palpatine, probably one of the two. Yeah. Either way, I, I actually heard a rumor. Uh, I would, I'm not sure if it's li- uh, credible or not, but I heard a rumor that this, uh, Matt Smith would be playing a younger version. Then again, like a uh, Palpatine. I, I that's why I've heard. I'm <laughs> I, I don't know if it's credible or not. <laughs> maybe like a younger clone, maybe. But I don't I don't know. Like how would that work? He's he's super old already because this is between the original trilogy and the f- fan fiction sequels so i don't know i mean maybe if they like grow like the clones in the the prequels maybe they could do that but can we just not bring palpatine back that again props to oscar isaac who was able to deliver that line without bursting into <laughs> laughter at how sheer ridiculousness it was because you know i act and i like to think i'm pretty good at it and i'm not saying that i wouldn't deliver that line because you know you you do your job i don't blame the actors for any of the dumpster fire that was the sequels and i will reiterate that to the end of time because people still do it and it's annoying because it's not their fault but you know that's just such bad writing (laughs) such better somehow this has happened don't ask questions Believe me. <laughs> like, okay, great. This is this is you know peak writing right here. I am jealous. My little creative writer heart is just so jealous by the finesse of how beautifully this was woven together. How flawlessly this was incorporated and set up from the series that definitely had a plan the entire time. They knew exactly where they were going with. So yeah, they, they just need to let that die. Just need to let that die. 
I'm going to say that for this episode, it is the best of the entire season. I would give it, you know, in a vacuum without knowing anything about the sequels or the how long it took to get here. I would actually give it like a nine minimum with the context of the sequels and the how long it took to get here. I would probably agree that, you know, seven or eight would probably be fair, like high sevens, like 7.5 and up to like 8.5-ish range. Somewhere in there would be pretty fair because, you know, I was watching this and I was excited. I was getting really into it. I was really, really engaged, even with the sequel stuff in there, even knowing how long it took to get here. I was really engaged and I was really happy to see this episode and how it's like, I mean, I lost my mind at the end of it, right? So like that is a good sign. If you have a cliffhanger and it just ends and you have that reaction, I was like, what do you mean it ends? Right? Yeah. That is a good sign. This was a well done episode and I really enjoy it. I just really hope that the finale matches that energy. And I hope that, you know, in the future, if they do continue to make more series, they fix a lot of these problems that I had with, you know, season three up to this point, because it really, I think did need to get build to this level sooner. It's just like, Kind of like if you were to draw the tension of the series, it's like going up, maybe peaks at episode two a little bit. Not crazy, but, you know, we're, we're finally at Mandalore, which is cool. Yeah. So that makes the excitement go up. And then it goes down for the episode that you don't like, way down. And then, because, like, it's not Mando related, so it's like, okay. It's not even on the graph it's anymore. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, I'm sure that this bomb. is going to be important later, but in terms of the tension, it's like it's not Mando or anything happening there. It's like a whole episode of doing something else, which, you know. Not that it's not interesting, but in terms of tension where Mando is concerned, it's not there because, you know, he's not there. And then, you know, it still basically stays down in these lower levels. And then it spikes at the end of episode five where Gideon, you know, escaped. It's revealed that Gideon escaped. And then it plunges down for episode six. And then it plunges up the highest that it's ever been in this one. I feel like that is a fair description in terms of the tension. Do you have any final thoughts? I don't think I said all I need to say, which is I'm actually pretty excited to see the finale. So, so let's get on to it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. That about wraps up our review on the penultimate episode of Mando Season 3. I hope you all enjoyed. Be sure to stay tuned in for our finale review and check out our other content from Entertainment Rebooted. We have movie and TV commentaries, rants, reviews, and so many other things entertainment related. We air on Sundays at 1 p.m. following Sports Power Talk, and you can find our podcast versions of our episodes anytime on your favorite podcast platforms. This is Natalie. I'm here with Matt, and this has been Entertainment Rebooted. Thank you all for listening. Bye.